Welcome to the Classic Car Corner podcast. We are glad you can join us today. Our guest this evening is an award-winning GM design chief of the C6, C7, and the latest C8. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's podcast is sponsored by Springdale Automotive, the next generation in car care. Locally owned, professionally operated, whatever you drive, we service. From domestic, Euro, hybrid, electric, classics, and diesel, Springdale's classic car services include maintenance, repair, and diagnostics. Five convenient neighborhood locations, how may we be of service? I'm Jason Painter, and co-hosting today is John Lockhart and Eric Benzel, and today we welcome Mr. Tom Peters, who, in my opinion, has had the perfect job designing Corvettes and other GM models through the years. A special thanks to Derek Moore for co coordinating this for us. Tom, we welcome you, and thank you for joining us here this evening. Oh, hey, it's my pleasure. It's nice talking with you guys. It's always fun. Oh, you know, we I've been talking to these guys. I cannot wait to talk to to this to to Mr. Peters, you know, um you know, I've got a simple mind, Tom, so you have to bear with us. I'm thinking to myself, what do we what do we ask a designer of of a Corvette and other GM models? So, let's just start from the beginning. How did you get into the automotive design and and share with us some of your accomplish, accomplishments uh through the years at GM? Well, um I'll tell you, it started probably at an early age and but I, when I look back at it now, upon it now, it's, you know, I started kind of designing things, I think, even before I knew what industrial design was mm -hmm. or, you know, let alone car design. I just knew that I was compelled to draw everything, uh, especially cars. I'm mm -hmm. um, going back to uh, um, just you know, eight or nine, ten years old, just sketching. My, my dad um, had his, I, I recall, probably the earliest memory of drawing uh, vehicles was my dad um, had shirts that were cleaned and pressed and they'd come back in boxes, you know, rather than on hangers. That's mm -hmm. why he liked them folded because I think he, he traveled. And, and in between the, the shirt, it was folded around a piece of cardboard, you know, about the size of a shirt box. So mm -hmm. I, I love those. And, and he would give them to me as he pulled his shirts out and then put them away. Gotcha. I would draw cars, trucks, whatever on them, right. and I would cut them out with a pair of scissors, and I'd line them up against the wall. <laughs> gotcha. It's just like you would, just like, you, I don't think I was having a design review. I was just lining them up, you know, but sure. think of it, you know, you project forward, it was kind of like a design review almost. You know? I got you. Fair <laughs> right. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just drawing through school, and then, uh, you know, coming across, uh, you know, probably 10 or 11 uh, you know, looking, starting to look at hot rod magazines and noticing several aspects that were in, in them. You know, obviously the cars, and you also had that fold out with the, the flaming funny car or mm -hmm. um, rail or, well, they had that, the FX cars, the pre, pre funny cars, you know, with the, the, the gassers with the straight axles. And, and sure. I think what I look back upon it, what attracted me was they were just like these cartoon caricature. Uh, type vehicles, you know, they're super expressive, and there's you know, some on the track that they just look wild. So how could it not grab your attention, you know? And and you know, again, not not being able to drive, too, you know, too young to drive, you try to get as close to them as possible. So what do you? What's the natural thing that you do is, is start drawing them any way you right. can. And coming, up, and so coming across those um, hot rod magazines with those images, and then probably two. There were many artists that were represented in those magazines, uh, but two that stand out for me. One was a Big Daddy Roth, and those T-shirts were just wild. And, you know, that's the impression. They captured his art. He and his artists captured the impression of those wild, straight axle, mm -hmm. you know, headers and fire and big tires and <laughs> right. stacks and blowers. And, and you know, I just, I, I just looked at them really closely to try to emulate to, to capture that spirit drawing, you know, is compelled to do it. The other, the other individual that had some awesome artwork in Hot Rod was a man by the name of Harry Bradley, who I would meet, you know, later on. I'll tell you that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But I used to collect all his stuff. And again, his was, you know, the, the Ed Big Daddy Roth artwork, again, as I look back on it now, they looked right to me then. And I look at them now, they're, they're wild and they're distorted, but they were correct. Right, you know the headers and the bolts and all the machinery, the the suspension, the tires. You know they were, like I said, they they were dramatic, 
and cartoonish, but they were they, they were correct, and, and you could tell that between other people's art that weren't quite there for whatever reason. Then Harry Bradley took that step farther because he was a um, a GM designer, and then he went off on his own. But he did a whole lot of stuff for Hot Rod. They were they were absolutely magnificent. So I tried to copy his uh, techniques, and and you know he. He, you can see, you can see the medium that he used, you know, colored pencils and markers and right. chalk and stuff oh, like sure. that. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, that, I, I, mean, I, don't recall, yeah, I don't know if you recall his artwork, but if you guys Google that, you'll see some of the stuff. It was phenomenal. He would do these custom rods and everything, lowered and slammed. And then he would also do new car previews. And one of the most famous ones is what's, you know, what's the next Corvette? And, you know, is Corvette going to go mid engine? And, and his, his, his uh, renders were spectacular. So at any rate, uh, so early on, and then uh, I guess I would eventually say, you know, again, I drew, drew everything and built my, built a ton of models mm-hmm. and, um, you know, cars, planes, tanks. I think, you know, I really wasn't in the ships that much, but cars particularly. And I, I also maybe just take a second here to, to mention, I look back on that and um, that had later would have such a huge influence on my career and design life. I mean, I, I'd recommend any kid to build models, you know, they're, they're a little bit more expensive, but yeah. when you stop and think about it. You're un, you, unwittingly, you're, you're um, being exposed and, and you're kind of learning about package design, graphics, printing, right. you open up the box, you learn how to read instructions and graphics and illustrations and yep. all those kinds of things, you know. Um, sure. And then, and then the materials. You look at the proportions, how these how these parts are molded, and then what they represent. You know, how parts go together, relationships, um, all of that. You know, you learn how to paint. You learn how you know, you know dexterity, doing decals, all that kind of stuff, you know. And, sure. And I, I will tell you, I can, I can relate right back to those model cars and those sketches and drawings I did that had direct impact on um, uh, my career, you know. So I, I, I always recommend that to kids, to, even though it's a digital world. And you can build models digitally, but there's something about that tactile interface, which um, it, which is still super important and super relevant today, you know. Yeah, so, yeah I built yeah. a cut. I've built a couple and, models with my my young son. I'm trying to get him in there. He's got a an extensive collection of Hot Wheels, as uh, the three of us did as we were kids. <laughs> so obviously we passed oh, that yeah. love on there. I, I can assume yeah. that uh, growing up you had a, a pretty good collection of Hot Wheels as well. well yeah, I, I was the oldest of five kids. I had several Hot Wheels, but um, yeah, I, I did, and it was right sixty-seven, sixty-eight. You know. Speaking of Harry Bradley, he designed the first set of Hot Wheels, so the Camaro and the, mm-hmm. you know, those red lines, the oh, red neat. lines. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah, right. Yep. They had, they had a Cuda mm-hmm. and a Barracuda and, and the Camaro, obviously, and several other ones. And then they one called the Diora. had surfboards on it. Oh, wow. And, okay. uh, and, you know, first, those first generation, Harry Bradley did those. Oh, wow. And, Interesting. you know, I didn't realize that until later on years, too. But that, that, that man had an incredible in, you know, impact on me and sure. design overall as well. I, and any kid that remembers Hot Wheels, Harry was right there. So yeah. that, that, that was pretty cool. Well, and so I had Hot Wheels and, you know, uh, had Matchbox cars, things of that nature, you know. But yeah, I think I, as I became, you know, into a teen, teen years, I had handles, but I was just really focused on models. Mm-hmm. And just built a bunch of them, but then sure. being the oldest of five, you got younger brothers and sisters, and you know, and when you move a couple of times, they don't, they don't stand, you know, they, they don't last um, as long as you'd like. I have two or three of them left when I was a kid, but uh, that's it. You yeah, know, they just didn't, didn't stand the, the test of, of uh, younger brothers and sisters. I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tear them up, unfortunately. So, oh yeah. So, so I'm recalling a story that I think I heard that um, I believe you were getting off the bus with a couple of other buddies, and uh, you saw this 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 uh, boy, I guess, get out of his dad's '63 Corvette, oh, yeah. and you guys were taken aback yeah. at this this machine. And I think uh, it was love at first sight that just kind of stayed with you all these years. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that I've told that story several times. In third grade, 
Okay. In, yep. Uh, deep, deep, deep in Minnesota, and getting off bus number thirty-nine. I still remember the number. Gotcha. And okay. One morning, you know, you're half asleep and all that, and you get out, and all of a sudden, the spaceship lands in front of the <laughs> right. in front of the school, you know, and like, point, yep. point now. So you, you go over, you just you're just gaping, just looking at standing there, you know. Right. Right. And um, yeah, my, my pals and I. And, it was a it was a silver '63 split window yeah, in 1963. So it gets out, takes off. So we would we would get off the bus and it's pretty pretty punctual as I recall. Maybe not every time, but mostly we get off and sure enough you'd, you'd pull it up and and we just stare over every millimeter of that car. Right. And, but as one one morning we noticed something different and looked inside. It was on the inside there. And, Oh my God! In between the center console, you call the '63 Stingray. One of the things I noticed specifically, because it was just so um, unusual, was that vertically stacked radio. You know, it had the dial and the buttons going straight up and down because it fit right between the, mm. the two um, passenger IP pods. You know, I got you right. Yeah. Well, this one was different. Right in there, in between there was a little TV screen. <laughs> oh really? Well, what uh, I mean, you know, talk about uh, futuristic. And then you know, so we talked about that, and then um, came in the next morning or one of the mornings thereafter, and the radio was back. So what I determined when I, you know, I think back upon that, he had not one, but he had two. He must have had a husband and wife car because he had two of those. Oh, so one nice. of them had the radio, one of them had two. But then, then on further. Kind of thinking about it, um, I don't know if you guys are aware, um, what you, uh, if you recall, the headquarters for Honeywell Corporation is in Minneapolis area. Okay. I think it still is. And they were super, you know, they were involved with all sorts of electronics and military stuff and whatever. I, I, I would think he might have, maybe he was a, an executive that had the world policy. Hey, guys put this technology in my car Wow! Um, back then. So I'm, sure. I'm just surmising, but I, you know, I, I just know somehow there was a little mini CRT tube in one of those cars and then take it a step further. This guy had it going on because he also pulled up and I think that was the first year for the Riviera, the one with the folding, the hidden headlamps on it. And it also okay. was silver and he dropped his, his kid off in, in, in one of those too. So nice. What, where he was, he must have had a product development or something. But gotcha. he knew he knew what was cool. Absolutely, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, a, def, a definite old school GM guy for sure, right? Uh huh. Well, yeah. 1963. That's pretty cutting edge. Oh yes. Yeah. Well, and if it was a, a the first version of a rear view camera, that camera would have been about about a Super Eight camera taped to the back. So that'd been really huge and, a, and very yeah. noticeable well, for that I, time. I don't, remember the, I don't remember the two being on, but I remember subsequently, you know, years after that, people you can you can get TV you can get TV channels out of them. You know, that is so cool. I don't have camera not. But anyways, but so so that left a lasting impression, mm-hmm. and uh, as far back as I can think, and you know, again, again, I look back and. Who, whoever would have thought that you know I'd end up one day in the studio where or in the building where that that vehicle was designed, you know, let alone even comprehending what design was. So absolutely, and that leads us to another question. Uh, You know, where Mm -hmm. did you study, and where is the design studio today? Yeah, you talking about GM Design Studio? Yes. Yeah. Well, um, so uh, my family moved to Louisiana, you know, when I was uh, sixteen or so, and which is kind of a culture shock moving from Minneapolis, um, super hot down there, but food was great. People were great. Loved it. But I went to graduate in high school, went to college for two years. Again, worked on cars. I remember seeing the movie, um, um, California kid. Okay. And those flames on that. I think it was, it was, it was a 33 or 32. I forget. Coop, do you guys recall? I, I, I don't, unfortunately. Yeah. But anyways, black, it was, flames on it and that you know, I just bought this 68 uh, Ford Galaxy two-door of all things gotcha and man you know I'm, I'm done building models I'm gonna figure out a way to I'm gonna figure out what takes to paint flames so I got flames that, you know I got my small model paints and some like paints at a hardware store and I laid those 
painted my first flames on it and that was kind of fun so i ended up painting a lot of buddies cars too but anyway i learned cars how to build them paint them whatever but um i knew in in school that uh, again i wanted to be in an art field so um i i was kind of kind of half fine artist paint painting and then advertising illustration Okay. Uh, University of Southwest Louisiana is part of LSU now. And first year and second year, I had a super art program, which was in uh, Louisiana Tech. Ruston, Louisiana is kind of the upper um, west corner mm-hmm. near Shreveport. Awesome school. But anyways, um, I was in a, some sort of a lab in a, there, just kind of bored stiff. And a kid had a this orange square catalog. And I said, hey, can I check that out? I said, sure. So I looked at it and... Oh, behold, what it is, it's an Art Center College of Design catalog. It was an epiphany in in a lot of respects because, again, I had no idea what industrial design was. Or, or People say, oh, yeah, Center Designs for Detroit. Okay, well, where? Well, had a center port, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, had, I hadn't a clue. Um, so at any rate, so I saw this, this catalog out in um, Pasadena, California, which, you know, that's, that's the mecca of car culture and, well, a lot of culture, a lot of, you know, movies and the surf scene, the hot rod scene. It's all out there. So I'm going, whoa, this is awesome. They had all sorts of things there, obviously cars and products, you know, um, saber saws, and all sorts of just wonderful things. And, and it was exactly what I knew I wanted to do. So gotcha. right then there, I made a decision. So I threw a portfolio together, sent it out there and was accepted. And my dad passed away recently, and I said, I'm going to go out there. They accepted me. That's, I'm going to do that. So I got you. Right. My, my mom and I went, my mother, mom and I went to, um, uh, well, I lived in a small town called Zachary, Louisiana. It was a one-light town. So we went to Zachary Bank and took out, we took out a $10,000 loan. Gotcha. Which wow. was going to be a million dollars. You know, wow. Oh, sure. So, Right. That kind of was mind-blowing for me, you know, but she was right there with me. At any rate, so I did that, packed up a Ford, and headed to California, you know. It, it, it blew up outside Lubbock, Texas. Oh, no. <laughs> um, had, fortunately, my cousin um, was out there. He was crop nesting. He was a former. He just got out from uh, Vietnam. You know, he, he flew in Vietnam. He flew F-4 Phantoms in Vietnam. He was oh, a top-gun wow. pilot. Uh-huh. He was a Marine pilot. And um, he he, uh, he was flying crop duster out there in that same town, so he kind of rescued me, and we put the mortar back together. And I made, I didn't make orientation for our center, but I made the first day of classes. You, uh, I got oh, you. I got Perfect. <laughs> All right. And so, how how long were you at an art center then? How long were you there? Um, I was there, uh, you know, a total of four years before your program, okay. but two years again. You know that that. Let me tell you, in California back then, even back then, that ten thousand dollars ran out pretty uh, I fast. I got you. And, right. So I was at a point where in my, you know, after my second year, I, you know, I either, you know, the, the um, OEMs offered internships. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and after being there for a year and a half or so, I said, you know, General Motors is where I want to be. I want to do Corvettes. Or, oh, you know, sure. That's just the coolest stuff. You know, like some folks want to go to Audi or BMW or mm-hmm. Ford or wherever. Man, the General Motors cars to me were just awesome. Yeah. You know, the smoking and all that. So um, they, they, they offered up a program, uh, you know, around the country, but it was really only for um, juniors and seniors. So I talked to the, um, you know, the chairman of the department. I said, you know, I'm, I'm only sophomore, but I'm telling you, I'm in a jam here. Either, you know, I'm going to apply for this or I'm like, I got to, I got to go to work. I can't, I got to eject out of school, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he said, man, go for it. You know, you stop it. It's not against the law. So I submitted a portfolio to GM uh, with, I'm sure there were several other folks that did it that were junior seniors. Well, um, they gave it to me. I, wow. I, I beat everybody up. Nice. So, well, you know, I, you know it, was a, it was a blessing because that, that really saved my life. Oh, I think, certainly. Because, uh, you know, I worked during the summer. I worked in a paper mill in Louisiana. Okay. Ooh. Which was which was oh. awesome. That was also inspiration for 
not going backwards. Nothing like a little motivation. Right. Inspiration yeah. through perspiration. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, I had several points of motivation, but that one was uh, that one was pretty graphic. Right. In oh, my mind. So uh, yeah. So anyway, I won it, and I just couldn't believe it. So I spent the summer of '78 at the General Motors Tech Center in Warren, Michigan, which was a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's a beautiful campus. I think it was designed, it's opened up in 1955. So you, you think, I think everything like 57 Chevy up, mm-hmm. maybe even earlier that, I'm not exactly sure, were designed in this hallowed, you know, on these hallowed grounds, you know, everything. Uh, small block Chevy, from Taiwan Engineering, the uh, 63 Stingray, on up. Mm-hmm. You know, the, those wonderful trucks and cars, those mid-60s, everything, GTOs, right, 65, right. you know, Palace, you just name it, all the Chevelles, all those cars were done on that site. So it was, like, amazing, you know. So anyways, we I spent the summer, and we um, did, had all sorts of programs and tours and all that, and it was fabulous. You know, guess, by the way, they, they paid you while you were there. Okay. Oh, go. Wow, that was pretty cool. Well, that was sure, pretty cool. Cool. So anyways, we, we, we made our presentations and all that went wonderful. And uh, so I was able to go back to school with a few bucks in my pocket, at least enough to pay um, the tuition. And so I did that and, and uh, I also applied for some scholarships and received them. So um, I graduated in 1980. Okay. Um, from there. And that's where I met my wife, Carolyn. She's native California. She lived right down the street. And the school is located just above the Rose Bowl. Okay, uh, oh, that's got to be beautiful. You look down yeah. on it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, just, again, just an amazing adventure. I really couldn't afford to do much out there. We would do, uh, you know, go down to Hollywood here and there and, mm-hmm. you know, get a drink. Mostly you could, <laughs> could buy food. You had a choice. You could buy food, gas, or art supplies. Those were the kind of the three things you, you could afford to <laughs> gotcha, buy. you right, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, so we had to make some serious choices. But we still had a great time. We get pizza every once in a while, or like go down to uh, Whiskey to Go-Go and just kind of hang out down on Sunset Strip every once in a while, usually at the end of the semester, just kind of celebrate, you know, or go to the beach. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. My, yeah, my, my uh, current wife now, I mean, my wife now, you know, she would take me down to the beach. And that, I mean, again, think about this. Like someone from the Midwest, going out there for the first time it was absolutely amazing no matter what you did just being there and see oh going to these you see these hot rods driving around that you might see on in might have seen in magazines or mm-hmm. definitely magazine worthy because it right. was you were in mecca out there so that was awesome so anyways graduated um uh, interviewed with several companies and again uh, interviewed with chuck jordan who was uh, vp of design at the time mm-hmm. Um, just uh, an incredible uh, figure of uh, you know design, and uh, uh, I met him during the summer program. Just an impressive uh, design icon at the time. But at any rate, so um, uh, they they made me an offer, and I accepted on the spot. So gotcha. Um, That's a yeah. great story. Oh, it's it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but but yeah. you know it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. <laughs> Um, my my wife and I we both gotten offers and then um, 1980 was kind of a rough year economically in the country and uh, we had a couple openings and I guess something happened one of them closed up so um, my wife took a job at Texas Instruments among all the ones that, all the jobs she was offered because mm-hmm. uh, they initially um, invited her to General Motors but that it just the offer didn't come through so she went to text instruments i knew i wanted to be with her and eventually get married so after six months of gym kind of like things get better and all that which they kind of did and i said well you know i'm not going to slow my plans down here so i went into chuck jordan's office i don't know if that was stupid or, or, <laughs> death or whatever right because you know there was a culture back then you know if you leave don't let it hit you don't don't let the screen door hit you on the right. way out right you know and, you know, goodbye. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like that today. Today, um, people going out, you're welcome to come back. You're bringing back gaining experience. That just wasn't the culture back then. So right. I was kind of scared stuff. But I told him, I said, you get two openings, and, and I'll be back here in a heartbeat. So um, I, I quit General Motors after six months, went down to TI, had a, just a fabulous experience down there designing. Well, we did first laptop computers. Um, did some desktop stuff. I did some marine navigation equipment. 
children's learning aids. I got to work with uh, Steven Spielberg. Oh, nice. And Kathleen Kennedy briefly on uh, the movie E.T. Okay. Extraterrestrial. Right, right. Uh, if you're familiar with that movie, there's a piece of that. It's called a Speaking a speak and Spell by Text Instruments. Yeah, okay, I remember those. Cars from crashing, the phone, E.T. phone home, you know? Right, right. <laughs> so there, so yeah, so there was a T.I. relationship there, and you know, I did some sketches for them and all that. Like I said, I met Kathleen Kennedy, who she's a, she's just a phenomenal person. She's, you'll see her name on a lot of movies mm-hmm. um, um, throughout the years, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a whole other story. But anyway, so two years there, fantastic, love it. Again, Lubbock, Texas, where, where my car broke down initially. You know, it's funny how things come around, wow. you know? Wow. And um, I... Uh, uh, got a letter from Chuck after a couple of years. Said, "Hey, got two openings for you and Carolyn. Come on, come on up. Got a, you know, as a formality, both got a interview, and you know, we'd love to have you back." So he was true to his word. He listened to me, and uh, which was rare back then in terms of inviting people back who decided to leave the company. So he must follow uh, enough of me to enough of us to invited us to, to rejoin. So we did. So we came back to General Motors in 1982 and been there ever since, you know. Wow. That is so, so cool. That's really cool. And and I was just thinking, Texas Instruments, I used to have a TI-99-4A as my first Oh, computer. we might have worked on that. Actually, I didn't do, I didn't do the calculator as my wife did, <laughs> but I did other stuff. But that, that was just, just an amazing experience. And you know what? Um, I, as well, did she apply some of the disciplines and some of the design um, philosophies that we learned there um, when we returned to um, General Motors. And that's kind of what they have evolved into the whole industry now. You, you go outside, you gain some knowledge and some unique perspectives that you might not have gained by staying in a company your entire career. You know, that just isn't a trend anymore. And mm-hmm. There's so much value going out there. And then you bring that back to a company that, that you're, you, are, you are welcomed. Right, right. Well, you get to you get. It's wonderful to have a company that does that because you you get to have that paradigm breaking to where you don't have that normalcy bias. Where this is the way we've always done it. It's like, well, why is that? Because other people. Well, are that's doing right. New it, might, it, might been, it might have been suitable for a certain period of time, but you know, as, as we all know, things evolve. But they, but you know, most if not all companies do that now. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, people jump around and gain experiences and and they they expand their their resumes and. Those those are of high value, so I I strongly recommend that. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So so here's a question from from a mm-hmm. thought to a final production about how long does it take to design and build something to to see it uh, finally produced? That that's a tough question because I'll tell you it's all over the map. I mean, mm-hmm. no two cars, at least in my experience, have ever follow the same process twice right okay but, and, and again <laughs> the, 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 the automobile and the organizations that develop them are like so complex it's so dynamic mm-hmm. and there's so much that happens that has to interrelate and that affects it it's tough but i would tell you in, in generalities you're speaking generalities i mean you can what well, can i get a I'll give you maybe the fastest example I came across. And, you know, there was even preliminary work before that was uh, um, when we brought brought back the Camaro, Mm -hmm. you know, the the Camaro concept. Well, you know, uh, Bob Bonifus and um, the engineering team had been working on kind of portions and and a theme for that. And um, I want to go back. I'm trying to think of the year that would have been. Um, probably 2005 or so. Yeah, 2005, 2006. Okay. Somewhere in there. Um, maybe eight. But at any rate, so um, they're working on that. And I and I had started, uh, we had just wrapped up, uh, no, it had to be late. I had to have been late. It must have been 2009, 2010. I'm sorry. Um, so much has happened in those years. But at any rate, so. They work on well, bringing back the Camaro because I remember the day when they stopped the production and at the time the studio chief Terry Palmer, you can tell it just it rocked, it rocked General Motors world. And, sure. And they said it was very emotional when they said, "Hey, we're going to stop that car." So everybody, you got to bring back Camaro. You know, the Mustang kept on going strong and all that. So that's a whole other story. 
But anyway, so they were developing kind of the general parameters of a Camaro, and and we just stopped the we just finished up the C6, and I still had the crew in place. So I said, you know, and, and you know, for years people said, oh, why don't you just bring back the '63 split bulb window? Everybody loved that car. That's super. Why don't just why don't just bring that back? Mm-hmm. So after after you know, a lot of years of listening to that and going, mm-hmm, yeah, that that'd be cool. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know. <clears throat> That was if you're trying to if you really like a '63 split window, we'll just buy one, you know. Sure, right. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I understand the sentiment and all that, but as a designer, right. I was looking forward. But but you know, we had we had a team in place that said, you know, let's, what would it mean to do a modern split window? Mm-hmm. So uh, we were not in the main design building. We were in what was called the northern annex, and they kind of did that on purpose because they knew we developed the Corvette, and you kind of want to kind of keep it out of the limelight, you know? Sure. And, and right. can't, can't help it, but people, everybody likes to check it out and get involved, and we love to have you, but what, it creates huge distractions, you know, even though the studios are meant to be kind of uh, separated and tough to get into, but, you know, people come in to check it out. you got people coming in meetings, and Hey, I had a cup of coffee. I thought I'd come in and check out and see what's going on in here. And, uh, you know, if you tell me, well, really, we can't. We're, we'd love to, but we're, like, we're cranking in here, you know. Right. But at any rate, so we're up, we're up in the northern studio. And um, so this is a building that had an auditorium in it, had a, a projector room and everything, you know, a big screen and all that, and a, and a stage. So we, a projector room, uh, um, had a small team that was um, – uh, left from the C6, and we came up with some sketches that could you do a split window, and then we did some scale models, and um, th- those were put on hold for a while, mm-hmm. and then when Ed Wellburn came on board as VP, I had a chance to talk to him about that. You know, can we get these started up again? He said, "Yeah, that's that's a great idea. Let's 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 get going." There you go. And we're, you know, I want to do a full size model, so we did that in Studio X. All so right. In studio, I did uh, Corvette Indy, and they've you've heard of famous Studio X. It was different locations, but over the years, even in the fifties, and again, as I mentioned, it's kind of a quiet space where you weren't going to be interrupted. You could just get through it yeah. and, without uh, people distracting you. You know. Sure. But anyway. So we worked on we worked on that um, that Corvette model uh, down in the basement, and it was looking pretty darn cool. So we brought it up and uh, made a hard model fiberglass out of it. Okay. And uh, Ed Ed loved it. But before we did the fiberglass, we had a clay model. We we were presenting it in the dome, and it was at the same time the Camaro guys that worked on the initial Camaro team um, had a presentation in there too. And this. Uh, Corvette was quite striking, and that's a whole other avenue we could go into. But at any rate, what it did is it, it allowed Ed, so he invited me to do, and the team to do a alternate version of the Camaro theme. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did one, and that's what ultimately became the Camaro concept car and subsequently the production car. Nice. Okay. And, and, okay. And the, the, the point I want to make is that Stingray concept car um, that split window. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. So oh, the sure. Stingray concept, right? Um, that around 2009, um, it had huge influence on that Camaro, and it had huge influence on the next generation C7 Corvette. Okay. So it's it, you don't you don't hear a lot about that, and you know it, it was in the press for a while, but that car is profound in that matter. If you look at some of the phone vocabularies, like you know the fender shapes. And the surfacing, mm-hmm. the, like the front grill graphics has kind of the strong, one of the strong egg crate grill in it. Well, that translated right into the egg crate grill of the Camaro concept and then the, that first gen that we brought back, you right. know, right. Um, of, the new, of the new version. So um, that car was, was quite significant. So, so we, uh, John, Eric, and I actually have a model of the C8, and we're passing it around as, as you're talking. And, and so, what, what's been some of the reactions to pop-up headlights and round tail lights that have been kind of a common staple with the design of Corvettes? How, how... Oh, oh, that that's a hot button. I got you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I um, uh, if you have time, if you go all the way back to C6, that's the first one that that we brought back that had. Um, fixed or, or exposed lamps. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, at the time, Dave Hill, the chief engineer uh, um, at the time, 
and uh, the, the vehicle line engineer, he was uh, executive. He was in charge of the overall program. He came to me and said, hey, you know, would you even consider if I gave you the most um, heads up technology, the most advanced technology um, and the packaging and all that, would you consider? I said, yeah, why not? So um, I, I pursued that path on the C6 and um, uh Developed it, and in-house people were saying, oh, wow, "How can you get rid of? How can you lose the folding lamp? It's such an iconic feature." And in my mind, two things: one was Corvette has a history of, of fixed lamp versions. That's you right. know, you go back to those, you know, the '50s and then the early '60s, the '60 car, you know, mm-hmm. '60s, and then also all the race car Corvettes had exposed lamps mm-hmm. you know and there were even some concept cars that had uh, corvettes that had exposed lamps so that was one point the other point was if you stand back and look at the overall statement of the car if it says corvette to you then it shouldn't matter whether you have exposed lamps or not right. well yeah um the rest is history but i'll tell you i've been in some events and magazines and things people want to come up and punch me in the nose i'm not joking and you wouldn't believe the hate mail i got for that oh man and and so you know that was so much fun for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, i'm being a little bit sarcastic but <laughs> right. but the car, the car, i think the car I, I think it's still i'm looking at it now it's, it's well plus the other thing about the c6 i brought in more true round tail lamps you know they kind of got they're kind of um oval kind of oval mm-hmm. which is cool uh, kind of, and, and even on the c6 they are perfect rounds they just look more round but that car you know that, that was i think i think it turned to be a very handsome car and those lights did everything that that uh, we expected mm-hmm. they shook it up and uh yeah that was so much fun i thought you know for the c7 i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm a i'm a, I'm a Sucker for punishment, so I'm going to do that again. I, I told my guys, I said, you know, we're not going to do round tail lamps on this one. What? Yeah. I said, <laughs> yeah, that was so much fun. I, yeah, we're going to do that again. So, um, I said, we're we're going to do dual element. You know, it'll be dual element, dual element portion. And if you look at Corvettes in the back, at least through the uh, like '68 on, there's this relationship, this proportion. You have like a fuselage. It's just just kind of. It's, Look at the Corvette from the rear. Say, there's the there's the license plate box, the exhaust, the tail lamps, the overall body shape, you know, the, the fuselage mm-hmm. rear profile, and then the top, which is kind of like a jet fighter canopy on this on the fuselage. You know? mm-hmm. So there's kind of a relationship between all those graphic elements that that kind of, that, that that creates a composition. So. I had that in mind. So, and, and, it, and not only that, if you're going to you change something, it needs to be profound, not change for change sake. So we had this new LED technology, this indirect te- indirect lighting technology. Mm-hmm. And so we had so much freedom with the sculpture and the light qualities and all those elements that, L- that LEDs give you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got the, the team did this fabulous three them i said i want this three-dimensional sculptural you could stick your you stick your hand in it you know it's so deep and, and, and you know back then most of the taillights and there's probably a few but i don't remember I, you know in the 60s uh, and even the 50s those taillights were super sculptured you know mm-hmm. but and then they but but uh at that current time most taillights had this lens over the any sculpture or um, they were smooth lens that kind of flowed into the body work you know Mm-hmm. That's why I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do sculpture that was had depth to it and would really take advantage of the packaging that the LED lights afforded us. Right, know? right. So, so hence, if you, you look at the C7, um, they aren't round, but they're they're darn cool, and they have this mean kind of attitude sure. at night, yes. this angle, yeah. and it's like this serious in the hunt kind of jet fighter attack kind of image to them, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it's just got this business, it's got this business look. And I think the, the front has to have a face and the rear has to have a face. And I think those those taillights gave it that. You know, we, we paid every bit as much attention, at least I do, on the, the rear of the car as we do on the front. You know, you have to have all that all that character oh, sure. and that signature. And whether right. it's on the street or on the racetrack, it's got to have an attitude, you know. 
Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That's kind of, very kind of, aggressive. Kind of, beautiful, kind of beautifully intimidating. And I think it I, is. I, I hope you guys agree. I think it, I think we accomplished that on the C7. Oh, but, yeah, again, right. but again, you know, history repeats itself. So I go to these Corvette events or on the websites, wherever. They they wanted to punch me again. In fact, <laughs> in fact I, I, I think um, I, I was at a Corvette meeting at the um, Corvette Museum. Some guy stood up and gave a presentation about it. And he, you know, uh, I don't know if he's one of the guys who want to punch me in the nose, but at any rate, he, he, one, of the, one of those individuals set out an endeavor to do a whole rear fascia with round taillights to stick it on the C7. I mean, I can't imagine that. that and the, the other thing I will tell you, um, you, you go back to my story when I'm 10 years old and third grade and seeing that stingray. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I had in mind when, well, maybe a little bit on the C6, but because um, that's what we really, I'm kind of jumping around here. That's when I kind of want, the other goal I had is I wanted to bring back the Stingray, because before, you know, up to that point, it was still Corvette. And I tried it on the C6, and Ed Welburn said, nope, this car isn't ready. It's not different enough uh, throughout, you know, it has to be holistically different from the, yep. from the, you know, from the frame up. So that was the other one. So um, anyways, what I told my team clearly the very earliest on C7 was, you know, don't don't design don't design this car. Let's not design this car for the current Corvette owner enthusiast. Let's design it for that ten year old kid. Ah, okay. To spark their imagination, right. and get them fired up, and sure. and you know they those aren't going to be your customers now, but right. they'll work hard to get there someday. And you want to you want to you want it to be inspirational to the kid. And if you can if you can light up. If you can light up a kid, that you know the adults will follow. That's I think, you right. Know? Yep. And so I, I harken back to that, that day when I first saw that '63, mm-hmm. and and how excited I was, what that, how, what the, what what an effect it had on me. And so hey, we have we have all the things in place now. We can do that again, you know, for the C7. So all those elements went into that. So um, I mean, there's a little bit of uh, Gundam uh, robot design in there. There's Jet Fighter. There's obviously, you know, there's so much on uh, the race car program. Right. A lot of race, you know, the you know, bring car, the Corvette to Le Mans with the C5, and then, you know, it was true track to street and street mm-hmm. to track, just integrated back. So we, it wasn't inspired, it, was, it really influenced racing influence to production. And you can see that on the C7, um, just just in a huge degree did on c6 but it really did on c7 ramped up hard you know like with the turn the radiator different ways an example flipping it and then having the air flow through and then bent through the hood that was a big move that came right from the race that came right from the race team nice that's an example brake cooling all that there's a lot of things aerodynamics wing you know wing development downforce all that but at any rate there's so many influences on c7 but um yeah i think i think it it came out really well. I look at it today. I think it still looks. Oh, it's I, still a striking car, and I think it'll. it'll it's going to wear well over time. Oh, I agree. The C7 excited this 48 year old. So I mean, it, <laughs> it excited the 48, the 10 year old, and this 48 year old. Yeah. And I appreciate it, it, it. it. And because it, it, excited, it excited your that inner 10 year old. Right. Well, right. And, and 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 I don't want to punch you in the nose. I want to give you a high five and a hug because it, yeah. it was it was the thing. It was the shot in the arm. I think Corvette as a line needed. Because I, I've, I, I mean, I'm going to be the one guy to say that I liked the 80, my 86 that I had for about a month, and then I got rid of it because I realized I was too young at the time mm-hmm. to have it because I was going to hurt myself with it. Yeah. But, but I loved that, and as it evolved, I liked it. And then some of it, uh, I thought, well, when's it going to evolve to the to something that's just striking and dramatic and aggressive? Because I see yeah. a lot of other you know, high-performance cars that are moving that way, and when's Corvette going to do it? And the C7 mm-hmm. just blew my doors mm-hmm. off, to use an automotive pun. Right. It was just beautiful, and, and uh, now we've got the C8, which is know, just, just the, as awesome. The C8, I'm just going to pause <laughs> and sigh and <laughs> yeah, just go, right. I, I think we were listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> you were sending the vibes. Yeah. You were Dude. sending the vibes. You know, so, so that, that car also, I, I got to tell you, um, I, I was – I was guys fortunate, you know, I was with them 30, you know, it depends on if you go all the way back to um, the summer program that I was invited to join. That's like 40 years of, uh, was with them. 
and I've worked on like tons of cars and trucks and SUVs and all that. Um, you know, Corvettes and Camaros over the years and working in Chevy three and all that. But that car, the C7, that, that's what we were all looking for. And that's what Al, Ed Welburn meant by saying, we're going to wait, we're going to wait to where it's just right. where we're going to reintroduce the Stingray. Cause I was pushing that so hard. That's one of my other goals I wanted to do, as I mentioned. So mm-hmm. there's so, there's so many radical changes from the core, from the bone structure out on that C7 platform working with Tad's Jecker. Mm-hmm. Um, there, all the plants were aligned. I, I can tell you, you know, everybody has thoughts about, well, you know, if I, if I just had this or just had that, if I had to go back and do it, or if you could only, I would have changed this or that. That's C7. Everything was aligned so perfectly that I think the car came out exactly as all of us uh, intended. Mm-hmm. And I think the customers, uh, as, and you're, as you're expressing, really responded to that. And, uh, um, you know, Ed said, this car, early on, he said, this car warrants that Stingray badge. And I just kind of inside go, yes. Right, right. You know? And, um, and I think it, look, it really it does the name justice because mm-hmm. you know, working with Taj and the engineering team that's a big part of it marketing and then even having the your your the support from your own management whether it's Mark Royce right up on top at the time um, Mary Barra and then Ed Welburn who mm-hmm. in my mind is just an amazing leader of um, design a lot of has been spoken. A lot of it's been written about Bill Mitchell as mm-hmm. an incredible force and Chuck Jordan, but I got to tell you, um, my experience, Ed Welburn was just amazing, and the profound impact that that he had on design is is unbelievable. And and why is that? Because he believed in his people, and, sure. and he, he yeah. had the confidence to um, empower his people to do and express the visions that they are for paid or. or working to um, embody, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and that car was just, everybody, everybody was sailing, you know, they're running on all, all cylinders on that car. Wow. And it was just it's the sculpting up. That's where also too, I mean, I'm going to deviate a little bit more here is that, you know, technology really has come onto its own right at C7 in every aspect. I mentioned racing. I mean, um, uh, how familiar you are with uh, the Corvette race program, you know, the GT program, the Le Mans um, mm-hmm. class cars. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, had such an incredible relationship with Pratt, Miller, Chevrolet Racing, and then the engineering team, marketing team. And um, it all had a huge effect on the car. Um, uh, digital sculpting in terms of, in terms of precision of engineering parts and analyzing them for structure and aerodynamics, mm-hmm. uh, digital um, technology was, was was mature. Everybody knew how to use it, and uh, even the sculpting, uh, we had we have phenomenal three-dimensional. Um, we call them math. The computer design referred to as math. Okay. Uh, sculptors that do amazing things, but I felt it was really important to have that human element in that surface. You know, Corvette, and you can name a lot of other cars too, that resonate with with human beings. And I think there's that artistic, that fine art aspect of sculpting that translates through the from the sculpt from the designers to the sculptors to the clay. So the data, ultimately it's data, then you cut those blocks of steel or whatever the molds are going to be made out of or whatever material. In this case, it's composite with Corvette for the body panels. But that human artistry comes right through when they paint those body panels. And I, I saw that a, a huge amount when we did the Camaro, but I wanted to apply that. So what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is we utilized all those elements of uh, uh, technology you know we had computer design incredibly precise and and wonderful computer sculpting and cutting and milling we also had hand sculpting and we kind of went back and forth one to another and uh, it came out i think just wonderfully so i mean this kind of gets back to your initial question about how long does it take to do a um, 
car. <laughs> so kind of roundabout way. I'm sorry about that. Oh no, no, it's no. been okay. fantastic. But, but you know, the, the Camaro, the Camaro, we back to the Camaro. Um, once we got that design set, um, we did six months to do a running concept car for the Atlas show, and then um, it took about two years of development. To get it ready for production. Two years. Okay, gotcha. Well, maybe two. You know, probably I'd say three, three years. Yeah, three to four years is the average time. time yeah, I got you. That, you know? Okay. So, but but the, what what happens is the technology and the, the incredible skill of people and having the the, the Corvette the, at the current time it was a performance team. They did Camaros and Corvettes or anything rear wheel drive Chevrolet. Um. Their efficiency and having people in many different disciplines understand the product, understand the customers, the enthusiasm, that stuff that you can't put on a chart. Right, right. You know, if you saw, here's, a, here's kind of an illustration. If you saw a Camaro or a Corvette on a chart, you probably wouldn't, you know, a, a logical person wouldn't do them. You know, mm-hmm. why, would you, why would you have a low car? If you, you know, you sitting too low on the ground, you have to kind of, Scoop down to get in. Um, in the case of the Camaro, back, you know, there's no back seat. You know, it's you know, why do you need the, such uh, such uh, high horsepower engine? Why are the tires so wide? You know, it's it's kind of counterintuitive, but you're not appealing to logic. You're appealing to emotion and excitement and all those kind, you know, passion, and well, uh, that has huge value. And mm-hmm. in, a, in a large corporation. Um, it's where that you get alignment on all those and understanding all, all those aspects that it takes to do just a wonderful car. Not just a good car, but a fabulous car. Oh, and that's sure. always the goal, you know. Well, sure. and you and you hit the hit the nail on the head there with the Camaro, which I can tell you, I rented a Camaro and drove it to Florida, mm-hmm. drove it 10 hours to Florida, drove it 10 hours back, and it was incredibly comfortable. I thought... This is going to shake my bones, but how many times before we have kids am I going to be able to take, a, take one of these <laughs> Camaros down? It's right. Yeah. It, no. Yeah, it, it, was, yeah, it depends on which Camaro you have, too. You know, they have all sorts of different ride levels on those as well. You it, know? it was absolutely comfortable. It was it was when yeah, the, the, the new model came yeah. out, and I thought, this is absolutely great. Yeah. I'd get one of now, these. You know, it gets criticized for not having a lot of visibility, but or not as much visibility, but man, that was that balance we struck between that stylish, slick profile and then you know you have the, you have the windows obviously, but the augmented with the cameras and all that, we felt that was the right way to go. Once what the backup camera was in I, there, it was fine. Yeah, <laughs> that was the only yeah, thing oh, yeah. that I had a concern on. And other than that, it yeah. was fine. The visibility forward yeah. and sidewards was great. And being six three, uh, I, here's a big thank you for me. And I know from Jason, who's about six twelve. I mean, the guy's <laughs> like a tree. <laughs> for all of us that are yeah. tall, right? Yeah. We can yeah. fit in Corvettes with legroom mm-hmm. and Camaros with legroom, and it's comfortable mm-hmm. and it's easy to get in and out of. It's it, it's a sports car. It's a hypercar. It's not yeah. a hypercar. It's a sports that's, car. It's a hypercar true, to me. True. It's a it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a toy. It's all about entertainment, as far as I'm concerned. Oh you know? sure, that's, that's right. That's why I approached it. But you, right. don't get me wrong. Those are they are serious serious machines, mm-hmm. but uh, primary they're about fun and. And excitement on that. So let me, can, let me go back to your, your that question. That's a lo- that's a big question. So Camaro, I thought went very quickly. You know, and you know we did we developed it on the platform, the Google Drive platform out of Australia. I went down there, spent a lot of time down there developing the production version of that planet Camaro back. But okay, so let's 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 move to the C8. Do you guys know? Do you guys have a have a um, maybe a guess on how long it took to develop the C8? <sighs> Gosh, uh, I'm here. I'll tell you. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I'll tell you. Uh, Sixty plus years. Sixty plus years. Wow. I think it's got to be accumulation of origin to to this thesis that is the C8. He wanted to do a mid-engine car, a mid-engine Corvette. He pushed that since like day one, I think. Wow. So when you think about it, we talk about this a lot. You know, it, it stopped and started way, you know. They did many mid-engine concepts ever before I, you know, was aware of design or Corvettes. You know, they'd done two, two or three mid-engines by Ernest one, I think, by '63. But they did several of them all throughout the years, and it all. And I, I've been involved in a few attempts over the course of my career to do mid-engine Corvette, 
But here it was, and I, and I remember the day we were in, and we had this, it's called a um, operations meeting with the, um, the, the, the production team. And it's led by Ted Jecker, the chief engineer. So you got everybody in the marketing, manufacturing, you name it, design. Everybody's in there. He said, you know, we're, we're, we're going to make the decision here. We're going to go mid-engine. That's awesome. Um, because the C7, it's reached a pinnacle of, the, of what, that, what that proportion can deliver, mm-hmm. what, what that platform can deliver. And so we reached that threshold. And you guys, imagine how profound that was to hear those words after 60 years. Uh, oh, sure. Right. That was the green light, serious. This is a no fooling. Mm-hmm. We're building it. So, that had to have so been a goosebump you, moment when that when he said oh, it that. Was. It was. Let me tell you, it was. That, that was amazing. That was, a, okay, you know, when it's dark and quiet, you know, you're not sleeping. You're thinking about what that meant, you know. And um, uh, and, and not only to witness that, but guess what? They're going to be part of it. Oh, oh, absolutely. So, so um, you know, I felt, I, you know, I, I felt and I feel just uh, blessed and just just incredibly proud and honored to even be associated oh, with something certainly. like that. You know, and again, go back to that kid watching that 63 Stingray didn't right. have a clue. Right. Uh, that this point when we said we're doing, we're, you know, Ted said, um, we're, we're, we're going mid-engine. When oh. we made that announcement to the team, you know, yeah. and then you know, the rest is history, you know. And then, so all the cars I know I involved, my experiences and all the cars I've worked on, went all the way back to drawing those dark pink cars or mm-hmm. the, uh, Bradley cars, building those models, building model airplanes, working on the race cars, blah, blah, blah. All that led up to this moment, as did oh. everybody else that ever worked on a mid-engine Corvette right. throughout that 60-year history. You know, mm-hmm. Jerry Palmer, John Cufaro, mm-hmm. everybody worked on either race cars or the production prototypes. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of concept mid-engines um, along the way there that all led up and, can, I guess, hey, contribute to what the essence and the soul of what that C8 is today. Oh, yeah. I think right. that what resonates with people, that car um, embodies all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked about that 60, that mean, I talked about the Stingray concept that I did mm-hmm. in the, that we did with the, the team in the projector room. But some of those surfaces still kind of translated and migrated and evolved into the C8 as well. You know, those C7 taillights I talked to you about, mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of kicked it off and, and, you know, you can see the relationship in the taillights, for instance, or the exposed lamps, there's a number of things you can see that you can see, you can track back, and you can see, you can see where that silver thread is that courses through all Corvettes, all right back to, right back to Zora's um, uh, vision, you know, and that'd be that'd be a fun graphic for someone to make. It'd be pretty wild. Oh, you know? Sure, <laughs> right. And Tom, I got a quick. I've got a. You're talking about this, and and it made me think about when you described when they were coming up with the court with the with your concept with the Camaro and designing it for the. Why are we designing this, and who is this for, and coming up with the id of the Corvette, so to speak. You know, the whole. You know, yeah. this isn't just a a thing, but it's a it's a. There's there's heart involved with it. There's 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 technology and then craft involved. Yep. Would, would you have gotten to this? Do you think you would have been at the C8 if you didn't have that Cor- Camaro or if you didn't do the split window concept? Uh, would you have gotten to the C7, which then would have opened up the yeah. C8? It's, it's kind of like, I guess it's chicken and the egg, but. Yeah, that, that's a tough question. It's hypothetical. I, I would venture to say there would be a high possibility that the C8 would not look like the way it does. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, mm-hmm. and, and again, there's, there's just an infinite amount of variables. That's like, that's why I'm saying it's kind of tough to answer what, you know, what, I mean, there are general steps you take in, during the process of, of putting a, a vehicle together, mm-hmm. but, you know, whether it's the, the team or the resources or, you know, the, you know, the situation or the content or the budget or, 
It's the right so timing and the right people and places that, play that go that. for it. Um, but I, I guess I, I would say I'd put my money on that it would not look like the way it does. You know, I mean, yeah. just just think about the race program. Mm -hmm. If 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 Herb Fischel hadn't had the vision to say, and let me tell you, that was an uphill battle too. I you know, I kind of learned over the years, like if you are on the, you know, if you are being threatened or on the verge of thinking about somebody, you're going to get fired. Um, oh. If you're if you're in a leadership role, you that's the way you got to work. Mm -hmm. You're not earning your money unless you're on the ragged edge. You aren't scaring people. And like I've been, I've been in a couple more than more than two situations where I either thought or I was told, you know, I I, I felt that I was going to get fired, you know, gosh, because you just just trying things that were kind of scary for people oh, and sure. maybe even scaring yourself and. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you I, I'm the first to admit there are things that I think I did. I, I didn't really fully mentally understand, stood, mm -hmm. and maybe not even to this day, but there's something that you feel that you just, you're compelled to do it. You know why? You know, it's, <laughs> you know you're, you're getting some divine kind of uh, message or clue or something, you know, and you, you, you become sensitive to that, to that over the years. Right. I'll give you an example of that. Like, I found myself over the last, seven eight years certainly through the c8 we'd look at a model and i'd say hey you know that doesn't look right that just doesn't that line doesn't look right that surface doesn't look right i, I found myself saying one day that doesn't feel right uh, it just mm -hmm. doesn't feel right yeah <laughs> and it may, be, it may be a millimeter maybe 10 millimeters maybe change the whole body side but Gosh, it, yeah. it, it, it went beyond look something didn't look right it didn't feel right you know you know the force the force is real i'm here to tell you oh, absolutely world. <laughs> oh sure right you right. know it's something it's i'm, I'm telling you guys it's just this, this it might sound hokey but it's not if you live it you get it <laughs> yeah, and, sure. and then right. you can you know think about think about that and like architect or music somebody playing music you know mm -hmm. yeah it doesn't sound right it just doesn't feel right and people people right think you're crazy you know and you mm -hmm. might tune something just up <laughs> Just a just a fraction or a millimeter, and it's like ah, you know, that, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you just it's like it's some kind of universal truth thing. I can't. It's mm -hmm. hard to explain. I don't get philosophical here, but I'm telling you, right, it's the real <laughs> deal. And I think any car that you see that just gets it and it's right on, whether it's a Ferrari or a Porsche or a BMW or a Ford or truck or whatever. Mm -hmm. A piece of music you hear, it's just right, and it's going to stay that way forever. Right. Yeah. That's because it, it's a it's a comes right from the heart, and that goes that connects right back. When I was go. telling you about the human interaction yep. with play. That's so. You cool. know, or, or whatever. You know, I'm telling you, that's 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 truth, and, and that's if you want if you want the secret, that's the secret in my mind. Tom, mm -hmm. you you've given us an hour of your time, and I have one last question for you, if you don't sure. mind, please. So sure. you've, you've been interviewed by Jay Leno on the topic of future transportation design. So just real yes. quick, what are your thoughts five, ten years from now on, on future design of, uh, since we're talking about Corvettes, uh, about, mm -hmm. you know, where do, where do you see the future with these cars here? Did, no, didn't, I, I hope I answered you correctly. Did, did, you, did you mention a, a, a number of years or just in general? Oh, oh just in general. Like yeah, uh, just all. yeah, just down the road. Where do you where do you see the uh, the Corvette yeah. as far well, as you, you know? You get you guys have you guys are on top of things, and you you know what they're doing in terms of drones and all the different and talk about technology. And you know one of the biggest factors I think they're going to add a Z axis to to communicate to to, um, to transportation. And you know what I mean by that? You know, cars go on X and Y axis, and they're going to add a Z, which means flight mm -hmm. capability. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's 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 a very real possibility. Wow! And just, wow. and just just and they're not maybe not for all all the vehicles, but I think they're going to transform in that. And you know, we all know about electrification. Maybe there's some other technologies out there that will develop or somebody will come across a profound moment that will be a breakthrough, you know, um, in some far form of, of uh, you know, uh, motivation for these vehicles. Mm -hmm. right. And I, I think society as a whole, globally, whether it's the United States or globally, it's going to change and shift based on where things are going with uh efforts towards you know ecology and all that mm -hmm. and how people live and um 
I think that's going to play a part. I, I, I would tell you, I think there's going to be a just a broader range of spectrum of vehicles, different configurations that that they're going to be available to you. Um, because, like, say, as an example, they're going to make them flight. Some of, some of these vehicles might be flight capable. Just, just think about the possibilities and the configurations you could come up with that would create whole new aesthetics. You know, sure. Um, you've heard of you've heard of additive manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Those kind of technologies where these these surfaces and these forms are actually grown. I, I remember doing, you know, we did like a super reach brainstorm thing. I remember project, presenting this big thing to Chuck Jordan back in the uh, uh, late eighties, mm-hmm. and um, I thought, well, could we grow could we grow car bodies on a vine like tomatoes or something like that? <laughs> well, you know, it sounds kind of silly. It was kind of it really kind of reaching back then, but you no, know, that's what additive manufacturing is, man. You're actually growing these parts, and they're doing body panels and frames and structural they, you know i think they just added manufacturing and at spacex for you know space you know for these spacecraft and all that and mm-hmm. you know elements going out in the exploding plants and all that so um i think that and i think there's gonna be so much more collaboration and communication between all cultures around the world to create just some just some wild examples of meaningful and relevant transportation I gotcha think. so it's safe yeah. to say that you are currently designing the first corvette that can fly <laughs> well i can't say that <laughs> okay i just i, I thought that's what you said I, 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 all right I, maybe i misunderstood you i, I will tell you that confirm or deny. Is, i think the technology is rapidly maturing where that's certainly a possibility and and, and i don't think uh, we would be the only ones you know you, you've seen all sorts of examples of that and why not you know Sure. And to yeah. me, I think we've had that capability before. It's just it's, you're limited by um, the people that are using them and how they use them. You know, some people they have difficulty with just two axes. So, but I think technology can help <laughs> augment that. You know, and mm-hmm. you're seeing yeah. that with uh, the, some you know the autonomous exploration and mm-hmm. and the dri- you know driver augment- augmentation yeah. um, and support, whether it's traction control or launch control or alert systems all those things are, are can come into play now you know very cool very interesting well, Tom, yeah. this has been a fascinating conversation. Your your designs are just incredible. Uh, what a what a wonderful thing to have accomplished, and we've oh, so thanks. enjoyed speaking with you and learning more about your amazing career. And uh, what a, what a great story you've told us. And um, oh, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And and for our listeners of the podcast, uh, please like us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe so you're notified of new shows. Also, please check out our new website at www.theclassiccarcorner.com. And a special thanks to our sponsor, G.D. Herring, providers of insurance solutions for your classic cars and all your insurance needs. And thanks for listening. And until until next time, happy motoring from your friends at the Classic Car Corner podcast.